Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. And haven't heard that before. We're in a mini series on Gospel Rant and haven't heard that before called Christianityism versus the Gospel. Uh, this is uh, a second uh, podcast related to that. We're looking at the phrase in the Old Testament where God says, I am with you. Now, hopefully this wakes us up, gets a new dialogue going, increases our enthusiasm for the, for the gospel, helps us to see and taste and feel, uh, make us read the Bible differently than we did before. And we want all to hear this uh, and get fired up, get jazzed. We are leaning against Christianityism and leaning towards a simple and cluttered gospel. And remember from the last podcast, we have an epidemic of loneliness in the Western world. It's been well-documented. It's been heavily researched. There are a dozen or so main reasons why it is here. And we mentioned a couple in the last podcast, but the cure is elusive. Christianityism, a bastardized gospel, is telling us that it's our fault. We should try harder. We should cognitively choose to not be lonely. We should get more faith. We should go to counseling. Some of those things may be good. But the gospel says boldly and radically that strictly because of what Jesus has done for us 2,000 years ago, God adores us as we are, not as we should be or could be. We are relationally attached to God and therefore not isolated, at least in the horizontal, uh, the vertical uh, spectrum. And we can begin to feel that love and reverse of isolation, that oneness more when we, as we ask the Spirit to access power from God. All we need to do is ask. Christianityism says all we need to do is do. And they're two different things. 2,000 years ago, based upon uh, nothing that we've done or not done, Jesus purchased all of the love of the universe for us. It is that love that's the cure, the remedy, the antidote, the prophylactic, the cure-all for this pain of loneliness that we feel in our brain 24-7 and the anxiety related to isolation. It's not enough that the love's there or that we believe it. Those are both really good, but Satan does both of those things. Doesn't help him too much. Doesn't make a difference in his life and sense of isolation. Am I right? The difference maker is that we feel, experience, get this dynamic, intimate, relational love of God more often. So for fun, we're going to look at the verses in the Old Testament that mention God saying, I am with you. And we propose ahead of time that we have misread this statement, misinterpreted this statement, underread, that's, no, I just coined that word, underread, underinterpreted this statement. And this statement means so much more than just a geographic location, right? I was in Babylon, but I'm now with you. It means more than some legalese bumper sticker uh, to imply that God is covenantally or legally on our side. It is that, but it's more than that. Or that he is just an ally. It's more than that. It does mean all of those things, but it also means, implies, should be interpreted that God is emotionally with us and for us, as a God is with or for a beloved child. God loves the person or persons that he is saying, I'm with you to. It's absurd to think that God divides his innate being. Remember, God is love. And in some instances, he's loving, really loving, emotionally loving. In others, he's just there. He's kind of in the shadows, doing nothing, just there. I mean, that's absurd, really. 
I'm reminded of an image presented by an old Puritan. Picture in your brain two scenes. First scene, a father walking with his young son. They're holding hands. An observer would say that the father loves the son and the son loves the father. Or to our point, the father is with the son and the son is with the father. Okay? Scene two, same father, same son. But this time, the father reaches down, picks up his son, hugs him, kisses him, just loves him all over. In both scenes, the father is with the son, quote unquote. In both scenes, it would appear that the father loves the son. And in both scenes, you know, the son loves the father. But it is only in scene number two when that powerful love is expressed and the father lavishes upon the son and the son lavishly feels it. Well, I'm going to suggest for our consideration, for our dialogue, that these verses, when God tells people, I am with you, is much more like scene number two than we're used to or may be comfortable with, certainly more than most um, interpreters would, would allow. Okay, so let's look at some of the passages where God says, I am with you, and think through them, assuming that they actually imply emotional and intimate relationship, a, a furious love affair uh, between God and the person or people that he is saying, I am with you to. Okay, so I'm suggesting that when God says that, we, we should not separate the love of God, the experiential love of God from that scene, from that context, Right? as if God could ever be on someone's side and not feel anything towards the person. That's ridiculous, right? And it makes a huge difference. The first biblical example is in the life of Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarai, Genesis 26. Let me give you a little context. We're told there was a famine in the land. Isaac and Rebekah go to the land of the Philistines, to Gerar, to King Abimelech to survive. Here's Genesis 26, verses 1 to 6. Now, There was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I will tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while. I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham." And will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. All right, track with me. Isaac and his tribe, his clan, are trying to survive a famine. They set up their tents in the land of the Philistines near a city, Gerar. And God comes. He personally speaks to Isaac. I mean, that says something. And he repeats a blessing that he gave to his beloved son, Abraham, who he really loved. And look, this is is amazing because God didn't need to say that. He doesn't need to say, I am with you. He's already said it once. It's, It's still true unless he believes that Isaac needs to hear that, that that would be a, a love letter to, to Isaac, right? He said it a couple times to Abram. He's not required to say it to Isaac, but he does. And then he could have just said, I mean it. I want you to stay here. Don't go down to Egypt. He could say, I'm just going to provide or I've got a plan. Or he could say to Isaac, get your act together, plant some some crops, or I'm going to withdraw my faithfulness and presence. He could say, if you're faithful and good, right, make it conditional, then I will do some nice things in return. I might even like you. He could have, but instead... 
something else manifest out of God's being, his innate love for Isaac. And he tells Isaac, unconditionally, I am with you. Uh, the interpreter says, I will be with you. But, you know, that's contextual. Literally, the uh, majority way of translating this is, I'm with you. I'm, I I'm continue to be with you. There's not a, a start or a finish. I'm with you. Does he sense that Isaac is feeling displaced, lonely? Is he empathetic, sympathetic, exposed, uh, at risk? Yeah, I'm sure he is. And that and that I am with you, does it includes I'm your protector. I, I, I've got your back. I'm loyal. I'm a provider. I, I'm not only have I not abandoned you, uh, I love you. And the famine, don't read the famine that you and I are on the outs and I'm punishing you. He says, I'm with you. The NIV translation makes it sound conditional, and I will be with you, implying if you do this, then I will be with you. But if you don't, ah, not so clear. No, no. In the Hebrew, you, you could go that direction only if the context allows, like I said, majority opinion, uh, a majority way to translate this is I am with you. Is it too much to read into that, that, that God is saying to Isaac, you and I are good, relationally speaking, uh, I still love you, you know? Well, I'm suggesting that the reason why is that God had already loved, chosen to love, expressed his love to his precious child, Abraham. And he's still committed to Abraham and Abraham's seed. He still loves Abraham and Abraham's seed. It, it was a promise, but also God loved him. And he reminds Isaac that that relationship is still there, even though Isaac apparently is not feeling it. And no judgment. I get that. I'm not feeling it all the time either. But that adopted, loving father-son relationship is still on. And Isaac was planning to go down to Egypt. And God says, Isaac, trust me, right? You're doing this on your own. Trust me. Stay here. I got you. I love you. I love you here. It's like a Dr. Seuss book. I love you here. I love you there. I love you everywhere. Sure, there's a famine, but I'm here with you, and, and that's the most important thing. Isaac, I love you with the same love I've loved Abraham, you and me, me and you. And when people see you, my love should be so clear and manifested that they will get it. They will see something different. They will see me with you. They will see our relationship. Our stories are, are tied together and woven around our feelings for each other. So do I think that Isaac felt God's love? I mean, if you've seen the still face experiment, by the way, if you're not familiar with it, you can see it at an early station in the dance, uh, as well as the forgiving path. Go check it out. Uh, so for those who've seen it, let me just say, remember when the mother's gaze returns to the infant, it's loving, her eyes are dilated, and she's her face is expressing that love. And you could say that the baby got it. Uh you know, you could from a distance say they were the mother was with the baby and she left and now she's back and now she is with her. Or you could say that the mother's committed to the baby and you could perhaps say that the child could actually see it and experience her eyes dilate and attunement kick in and the child could actually subconsciously feel it. That is the, the pinnacle of I am with you. Did Isaac get that? Well, I'd like to think so. Some, I think that it's disrespectful to God to imagine that he should say all of these things to a person he didn't feel emotionally and relationally close to. See what I mean? 
You could, can you imagine the absurdity of Isaac retelling the story to Rebecca? You know, Rebecca asks, well, how was your day? And, and Isaac says, well, I got a text from God. He says, we're to stay here. He's honoring the old contract he had with my dad. Promise is still good. That's great. So what's for dinner? Right? I mean, honestly, it's almost comical or tragic, but that's how we often read it versus something like this. Hey, Beck, you won't believe it. God was so present to me. He was so with me. I felt him. He told me that he feels the same way towards me. He felt toward his dad. I could almost see his face. I haven't messed it up. The 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 the, uh, the the mess we're in is not a punishment. I feel like a great prince adored by his father, his doting father. God loves me. I felt it. Can you believe it? It changes everything. Right? Well, immediately after that, verse 7, Isaac forgets. He falls out of this with us. <laughs> and no judgment again. I do it all the time. So he has a relationship with the God of the universe. God feels that way. God has expressed his love, showed his love. But Isaac, he's, he's cut out of the same flesh I'm cut out of, and he falls back to using uh, his own energies, his own wiles, and in this case, deceit to protect himself and his tribe. At this point, he doesn't lean on God. Uh, you know, someone said, all you need is need, and most of the time we don't have that. Isaac was on his own. He was acting like an orphan. Verse 7. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, which, by the way, is true, but misleading, uh, which is deceitful, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who molests this man or his wife shall be put to death. So Isaac, acting like a loner, an orphan, he's in control of his universe. He's so isolated. He's so alone. Uh, in, in his context, the realm of the sacred, right? God and secular humanity are divided in his brain. Yeah, God is there. He's ultimately committed to me. Check. But I'm not feeling it right now. And I better take matters into my own hand for my own life and my own well-being. This is what isolated, lonely orphans tend to do. He's not feeling or aware being embraced by God's love for him at that moment. So how does God deal with that? I mean, we'll see the, the height and width and length and depth of this love. Does God get his holy nose humanly out of bent? No. Why? Because God is not just with Isaac in this foreign land when Isaac gets it. God is Isaac's adopted and loving father as Isaac is. It will not change. He loves Isaac. And this is not a strike one or strike two or strike three. God loves Isaac, a furious love affair. And look, what else can God do to convince the loner Isaac? Well, here we go. Verse 12, Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Well, this is 
what a loving God does. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug up in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. And he moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there, he went up to Beersheba. So is Isaac really good at being an orphan? Is he a good businessman, a good farmer, a good negotiator, a good tribal CEO? He just thinks he's a problem solver and and thinks strategically. Is he lucky? Is he just really good at locating water? I mean, that's critical there. No. God is more than just being geographically uh, location-wise with him or even protecting him. He is lavishing blessings, life, water upon Isaac as a devoted lover would. I am with you has to include notions of God's care and observable favor, right? Isaac is so stubborn and unbelieving that he can't see it. He's so uh, secular humanistic. He's so deistic. He's so christianity uh, That again, no judgment, not for me. So why is Beersheba important in the story? Well, maybe, just maybe, Isaac is laying an offering on the same altar that his father built in Beersheba and thinking to himself just how fortunate he has been these, these last years. And then there's that voice in his brain that wonders aloud to no one special, why me? I haven't been faithful like my dad or good or smart, and yet God hasn't changed towards me. I pimped my wife to Abimelech, that country, and God, man, he protected both of us. He bailed us out. He got in between enemies and us. No lecture, no probation, no conditions, no shaming. Why did this happen to me? Well, you know why. God appeared to the hard-hearted, unbelieving Isaac, and he repeated what he told Abraham. Right? No frustration from God's point of view. No warning, no strings, no condition. Isaac, I'm with you. All of me. Being with all of you. You can't mess that up. You can't resist it. You can go ahead and act like an orphan, but you and I are family in the highest and most intimate sense. Verse 24, that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. Yeah, look, These comments from God, again, they're not required. They're not even necessary. They're land yap. They're over the top. But humanly speaking, God's love is being manifested to the object of his love. 
I mean, so often, and maybe you do too, you see this as dry, legalistic, uh, technical Old Testament stuff, duty stuff. Okay, so generic legalistic covenant language stuff, utterance from God. Well, what does the covenant etiquette book say? Isaac reads the page and says, okay, I guess I need to do an offering, altar, something honoring to God. I mean, that's just what you do. That's the duty. Otherwise, he's going to change his mind. Well, no. I would suggest that God is expressing needed love upon someone who is anxious and stressed and desperate and lonely and uh, feeling afraid in a dangerous foreign land. It does say that they were envious of him. He got into all kinds of problems. He needs to be reminded that God is not just on his side. God loves him. Verse 26. Meanwhile, Abimelech had him come from from Gerar uh, with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. And Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? And they answered, we clearly saw that the Lord was with you. It was so obvious to pagans. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us. Let's cover our bases between us and you. Let's make a treaty with you, because frankly, we're afraid of you and the relationship you have with your God, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you're blessed by the Lord. And so Isaac made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Well, I don't, I don't know if Isaac still gets it. Abimelech, which... His name literally means God is my father. Irony abounds, right? Uh, The one who could say God is my father doesn't seem to get it. And the one whose name means God is my father, but is not a believer, he seems to actually get it. Uh, But here's what I'm observing is the God saying I'm with you is it's, it's a manifestation of God being obsessed, relationally obsessed in the highest possible human sense, without all the negative aspects of that. He's obsessed with his adopted son, Isaac, as he is, not as he should be. And not when Isaac is responsive or pays attention. Right? Again, it's more than just being with him physically. It's more than God being just on his side, you know, like sides being picked on a playground for kids. It's more than God being a bodyguard. All those things are real, but it's relational uh, because Isaac's, one of Isaac's prime problem is isolation and, and loneliness and, and the, the, the negative things that come from that. So I have to tell you, as I've taught on this before, a lot of Christians seem uncomfortable to imagine God, particularly in the Old Testament, being a God who really has emotions and who is, ex- other than anger and justice and vengeance, uh, being a God who has other emotions like love and like, uh, empathy, who is expressing them to those he loves, those who he chooses to be with, uh, very faulty, frustrating people like Isaac and, you know, like me. But what if God is a loving deity by nature? What if the New Testament is right and God is love? What if the promises of God to Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, David, are given as a loving mother would to her daughter in the still face experiment? What if some humans actually get it and feel it? I'm going to strongly suggest that this is one of the things that we New Testament saints have over the Old Testament saints. We actually have the Holy Spirit full time. The Holy Spirit was around in the Old Testament. It's over my pay grade, but we have the Holy Spirit full time in our inner being. Check out Ephesians 3 and other places. And he is passionate 
about making us experience this love and favor of, of God, to experience God is with me. We can argue that it's because we're lonelier and more isolated than they were. I don't know if that's true, but we should begin to experience the love of God through the power of the Spirit in our inner being a little or a lot. Listen to Paul, Ephesians 3.16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, right, the power that comes from God, together with all the saints, that would include Old Testament, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is what Isaac needed. He needed to be experience the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. This is the same God who told Isaac that he was with him. It, it means more than just the cold words themselves. Don't tell me that this was just said without any emotion, without, his, with, without God's holy, holy eyes dilating and his face lighting up like the mother did for the still face experiment. That would be ridiculous to think about. Our God is by nature loving in the highest possible sense. God is love in the highest possible sense. When a human king says, I am with you, okay, I get that. Count on support, honor, military intervention. But, you know, that's conditional. That's capricious. It's, it's got all the, the negatives and vulnerabilities of human love. But when God says, I am with you, you can bank on that. And it means more than, you know, I, I'm, I'm living in the guest room upstairs. <laughs> you should actually expect and begin to feel loved by God, adored by God. You should begin to feel your loneliness and isolation abating a little or a lot. All right. We'll pick this up in the next podcast. A similar gushing uh, communication of the love of God to another unworthy and, frankly, to tell the truth, an unlovable person, Jacob. All right. We'll see you next time on uh, both the Gospel Rant and Haven't Heard That Before. Take heart, child of God. Hello, hello, Quinice Petway here, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. Are you someone who loves to take a deep dive into God's word, one verse at a time to explore his will for your life and desire to draw closer to him? If that sounds like you, I'd love to invite you to head over to lifeaudio.com and search Your Daily Bible Verse to tune in and subscribe for daily inspiration, life application, and spiritual transformation through the in-depth exploration of God's Word.